Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. Happy Wednesday from the Wesson Walker Show. You know what that means. <laughs> oh, you didn't forget. I didn't forget. I was wondering if everybody else forgot. I don't think Wes forgot. I think Fitty did. He hit us with a, I'm exhausted, right before he hopped on the mic. He did. He just did the producer show for two hours. I heard he got called Meatball, so now you just have another nickname for the Marlowe Militia. Fitty, I'm going to need, because he's a very good war cry yeller, I'm going to need him to bring the war cry for war cry Wednesday. I want yeah, everybody to do it in their deep car. breath so he could, you know. If you're at work listening to this on the app just do it a little quietly so you don't get fired or you don't get strange looks if you want to just go ahead and yell it all out that's fine too or just tell them you're listening to wes and walker and then they'll oh okay all right yeah 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 we we know just get back to work after you do it okay all right so i'm gonna count down to three and then we'll get our war cry wednesday going one two three (laughs) that's a yell right there baby that's what I'm talking about. That boy's ready for a Tar Heels game with that kind of yeah. He's red. I'm seeing stars. <laughs> Look at Walker. Walker is dying. Fitty. I mean, don't I wish, don't call on me until three o'clock. I wish people could have seen Fitty. That was the most intense I've ever seen, Josh Fitty Marlowe. All right, Mr. Bus Driver, let's just go ahead and do this damn thing, man. Open up the bo- doors. Let's get off the bus. We look good getting off the bus. <laughs> I got something to say. Damn! Kick it! All right, I'm going to try to bring the energy. That's still, that's got me for some reason. The face, the intensity, it was a lot. 53-man roster takeaways. It is finalized. It's never really finalized, but we do have a 53-man roster before we get to the week one. Football season will be underway in just a moment's notice when they take on the Atlanta Falcons. They at least have their guys set right now. So, a couple of the main takeaways that you had, Wes, after they were able to dwindle it down to 53, you had a couple other cuts come in to make it 53 after some of the surprises, quote unquote, came in throughout the day. Keith Taylor, Deion Jones, Raquan Williams, I think those were among the bigger surprises. What would you say was the biggest? And then if you want to give your overall theme of how this roster looks for you. Oh, uh, man, the big surprises. Okay, so if we go back, I know you and I talked about how Deion Jones played and some of the plays that we pointed out during games when we would watch. But still, when they brought him in, you thought with him being a veteran, uh, him being in the league so long, his Pro Bowl pedigree, that he would have been a guy that would have ended up making uh, the roster. So I think that's why too many, when you look around and read different articles here and there, a lot of people were surprised by the Deion Jones cut just because this was a guy that was a former Pro Bowler, even though we know that he had lost a step and we saw some of that Uh, in the Panthers' preseason games. Uh, Some of the other surprises were some of the guys who maybe weren't let go. 
I was happy Derek Wright made the team. If you remember, after the second game, we talked about him and the production that he had uh, and maybe that he was the guy that was out there making some plays and would have a chance. YGM making it through, that was a guy I did not think that coming through at the start of training camp was going to make this roster as well. So I, I think those are some of the main takeaways that I had. Um, I was glad, you know, Sam Franklin is back. He should be after what he was able to do this preseason as well. So those were my main takeaways. All right, yeah, so tell us what you think on the text line. 704-570-9610, logo 704, war cry time, all caps. King of the Marlow Militia said, did someone call on the militia? Take it easy on the king. So you got some supporters out there. And then finally, we got some roster takeaways. 704 said, why five tight ends? It seems excessive. Yes, you're right. I thought the same thing. (laughs) If it seems excessive, it's because it is excessive, even for Frank Reich, a guy what everybody was talking about, how much he loves the tight end position. Yeah, five's going to be a lot. I don't think that they're going to have five for a ton of the way through the NFL season. We'll see if they're trying to trade one of these guys. Problem is, I, I do like the, what, five that they have, at least at the bottom that you might you could feel get cut, right? Giovanni Ritchie can do some, you know, different stuff for you. He's a versatile player. Sullivan is someone that got play last year. And so if you're talking about a a roster worthy player, then Steven Sullivan is someone that does make sense in that regard. You would just think it would be a harder cut because you don't want to keep five tight ends. But that for sure is one of the main takeaways that you have. 336 said, I'm shocked Ian Thomas and Tommy Tremble are still on this team. Yeah, I'm, I'm not if you wanted to go with those three. But again, it goes to the whole top five thing. Matt Corral is a big takeaway because I don't think they're done figuring out what he's going to do for this team yet. Going to be trade bait still. You know, this is a time where a lot of these backup QBs can exchange hands. Mm-hmm. I remember a conversation a few years back when Carolina did the whole Wolf face Pittsburgh in the last game of the preseason thing. It was an annual. I don't know what kind of tradition it was, but it was something <laughs> Carolina would take on Pittsburgh. And I remember we were discussing whether Carolina was facing a quarterback that might be on their roster after the preseason and Josh Dobbs. So Josh Dobbs moves around a couple times, actually got traded to the Cardinals this offseason. You see Trey Lance wasn't going to be used in San Francisco. So Dallas trades for him. I wonder if Matt Corral is a Trey Lance light where no, you didn't trade up a bunch to go get a first round guy in Trey Lance, but you did trade up to go get Matt Corral in the third, fourth. And so is there something to be salvaged there now that he's a third string QB gave you one good game in the preseason, the other games, not so great, Yeah. but very much like Trey Lance doesn't have many snaps under his belt. In fact, has less than what Lance has because the dude didn't play at all in the regular season because of his injury. Is there anything to be salvaged value wise by a trade from somebody else that might've liked Matt Corral in the pre-draft process? He made the roster. They're going with three QBs right now. But Matt Corral's journey is far from done. No, not at all. And I think in this league, you know, you always have coaches. The egos are huge. And they always think that they can get out of a player what somebody else did not. They're looking at Matt Corral, like you said, with those limited snaps. They're looking at the fact that Bryce Young is here. There's no chance that he'll be the starter unless Bryce Young is a complete flop. So I think there are definitely some teams out there that are going to be desperate to say, hey, we can bring this guy in. I like what he brought coming out of college. We scouted him. We felt like this. We felt like that. And we can get him in our system, and maybe he can end up being a player. All right, so you have five tight ends. 
That seems like a lot. Seven receivers seem like a lot. Usually when you're trying to figure out how many receivers are going to make the team, it's usually, you know they're going to keep five. Are they going to keep six? Here they are keeping seven. Now, Amir Smith-Marset is someone they traded for. He's going to be a part of the return game. Derek Wright is that last receiver to make the roster. So if you trade, even if it's minimal, right, it's a conditional 2025 seventh round swap okay so again i compared it to nba terms top 55 protected you just needed something to complete the transaction even if it's probably the as as less of a value thing that you can send out to a different team right all that to say Derek wright might be in the same boat as matt corral in the sense that you could maybe drop him to try to figure out some other help he makes the team had a good enough preseason shy smith is the guy that gets cut but Derek Wright is someone I think could be on the move as well. And then they go down to six receivers with Marset being that return guy they're looking for. I wonder if that's something that's going to happen. Yeah, it could be. And uh, I can't wait to see if Smith Marset is going to come in and make any type of noise as far as being a receiver. We know what he did in the preseason, second leading guy. A lot of people will say it's the preseason, but uh, you still wonder, you know, he's known as a speed merchant. So can he provide some contributions uh, to this team, especially if some of the top guys aren't able to get back in time for that first football game. All right, so you mentioned Deion Jones getting cut. I I just think that they tried Deion Jones out. He didn't play well in the preseason. Kamu Grujay Hill, it's not like he was phenomenal in the preseason. He was very good in training camp, so he's going to get the third linebacker spot. They decide to go with Ch- So, here's a couple names that we haven't talked about a lot. Chandler Wooten. Haven't mentioned his name. You go to the interior defensive line. We've mentioned LeBron Ray, but even someone like a Nick Thurman hasn't been mentioned a lot. So I think when we discuss Raquan Williams is a surprise. Deion Jones is a surprise. And then they go with some of those other names that aren't mentioned. I guess they just like those guys a little bit more than we thought and that we were led to believe because there's a little more name recognition with the Deion Jones and there was something more substantial with a Williams as far as what he did in the preseason. But they're going with a couple of names that we just don't talk about a ton. I think a couple of those guys were also some, some surprises. Not in that we've talked about him getting cut. We just haven't talked about him at all. Yeah, and then also too, man, shout outs to uh, Nash Jensen and Ricky Lee making the 53. Man. Yeah, Ricky Lee's a really cool story. NCAA&T product, someone that we had as an undrafted guy during our... How My Name Is. Yeah, yep. we did the How My Name Is on him, and Rajon Wright doesn't make the squad despite needing all the cornerback depth that you could possibly want. So, Rajon Wright doesn't make it. Mark Milton... And even a Jalen Redman, I don't see make the team either. Yep. Somebody I really liked yeah. as an undrafted free agent, real athletic, was productive, if I'm not mistaken, at Oklahoma. And it's Ricky Lee. I, I would have lost that one a couple of times if you were to ask, hey, who uh, of the undrafted free agents are going to make this squad? Yeah, I mean, these are young guys that get to mold them uh, as far as them being undrafted rookies. So Ricky Lee, like I said, went to North Carolina Central where he started and then to North Carolina A&T. So he comes out of there. That's a big coup for them. Uh, to be able to get him in the league and have him on a roster. And then, like I said, Nash Jennings out of San Diego State played a ton of football. Not the greatest of showings when you see uh, these guys out there. But again, these are young fellas that are projects and they'll get to be able to mold them. So who knows how they can progress as the season goes along. All right. So we talked about seven wide receivers making the roster as it currently stands. Here's Frank Reich actually giving an update on the health of the wide receiver room. 
Terrace was out there today, as you guys know, and um, you know got some work out there today. He, you know, he was didn't do everything, but did but did enough to kind of was a good first step. You know, obviously DJ's was like you said, Joe was he's working inside, so we'll see how he continues to progress. So I know these guys are doing everything they can, and as I told you, my attitude is like I trust those guys. The, this, the, the decision ultimately it's a combination of player, medical team, and coach. Player, It's a three-way decision. All of these decisions, all year long, whenever you ask me a question about this thing, I'm going to say there's three parts to the equation. The player, the medical team, and the coach. And we'll three come together and make the best decision for each player and situation. It sounded like somebody was done with their drink and wanted to get the last few drops. It sounded like to me somebody had the doorstopper. You know the one that you can pull it. It's like a, on a coil and it makes it. When you were, man, if you were ki- if you were a kid and it was a take your child to work day and you had to sit in the boring office that yeah. your parent worked at, <laughs> that was your source of entertainment. Yes, the doorstop. That was it. And then you could just hear that weird sound and keep going back and forth all day long. Regardless, here he is talking about the wide receiver room. For the most part, good news. I wonder if keeping seven guys is just a little insurance on DJ Chark's health, TMJ's health, LaVisca Chenault going through concussion protocol, but actually all three of these guys. Wes, you have a decent prognosis as week one isn't going to be this weekend. It's going to be next weekend. So you have some time to try to get these guys as healthy as possible. Yeah, no doubt about it, man. So it's going to be exciting. The rosters are set. Doesn't look like they're going to make too many other moves. Uh, There may be something here and there. Maybe if they feel like something is lacking, but I think for the most part, this roster is set and there'll probably be some small tweaks here and there along the way. All right. So speaking of tweaks, Wes wants to go grocery shopping next segment. What kind of ingredients do the Carolina Panthers need to pick up in order to cook something pretty nice for week one against the Atlanta Falcons and beyond? We'll get to that in just a moment. You're listening to Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Wesson Walker back on a Wednesday. You're listening to Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. But he is, are you okay? Is your voice okay after yelling like you did at the beginning? Because that was as intense as I've ever seen you. Uh, it will be after I get some lunch. You know, all it needs is some grease and it'll be, uh, be ready to all go. All right. Bojangles, maybe just like everybody's favorite option was for the hangover food question that we posed to our socials yesterday. Yeah. At Wesson Walker, at West Bryant underscore 72, at Walker Mail, and... Yeah. At HTB underscore Josh. So go check out. We'll have questions of the day. Usually get to it around the end of the show. But also there's plenty of stuff to catch uh, as well at the beginning of the show. We're still doing some 53-man roster takeaways for the Carolina Panthers. Are they ready to go week one? Wes, how confident do you feel after we have this 53-man finalized? What are some ingredients you think the Carolina Panthers might need to go shopping for in order to create something pretty tasty? Well, I think as far as... uh how the roster is constructed at the moment, they probably add a tackle. 
um, to add some depth at this point. Now, uh, they talk about how offensive Brady, tackle. Yes, offensive tackle. I'm sorry. Brady Christensen and Cade Mays have played tackle in the past, and a lot of offensive linemen are always interchangeable. So uh, that's a place that they could definitely go uh, when you look at this team as currently constructed right now because the backup tackles uh, to this point or the backup tackle is Ricky Lee. So they definitely want to try to want to going to go out and try to find maybe uh, a veteran offensive lineman that may be uh, on a scrap heap right now that they can bring in. And then also just a little bit more depth on the defensive line, maybe go find a big body uh, in there to be able to bolster uh, that defensive line as well. Obviously, the starters are set, but uh, some depth there may also be another area uh, of concern for them. All right, so if you go to The Athletic, every team beat writer actually comprised an article about the most valuable cut that each team made, the hardest decision. And there's actually a lot of local guys that got cut from other teams in the NFL. So a couple names that I wrote down. Timmy Horn, defensive tackle for the Atlanta Falcons, appeared in a lot of games last season for the Falcons. And, by the way, is a Charlotte alum, Crib, former 49er, that was undrafted. It seemed like he was going to be dominant when he came to Charlotte, played one year at Kansas State. We had real high hopes for him. I don't think ever lived up to that kind of hype, but still had a lot of ability. It's why he was an undrafted free agent that made his way into the NFL and the Atlanta Falcons. They pick him up. So he played in all 17 games, started five, got 27 tackles. And you have Josh Kendall, beat writer for the Atlanta Falcons, a part of the athletic, saying that the reason he was cut, it wasn't necessarily because of his own play regressing. It was because they went out and got Calais Campbell. David Onyemata, Bud Dupree, longtime veteran in this league. And so Timmy Horn is someone. Now, we kept wondering why they were cutting the defensive lineman that they did. And I'd heard Mac and Bone talking about it, even Colin on Charlotte Sports Today with the producers, that edition, saying like they're a little light at the defensive tackle position for a defense that might go odd man front. And that's going to be their base even if it doesn't mean they're going to be running it all the time, even if we know they're going to be multiple, they don't have the big old nose tackle that you typically think of going in the middle of the three-man front. Now, Timmy Horn is 6'4", 320 pounds. Not necessarily your 350-pounder, but what is he? I mean, you're probably talking about a little above some of the defensive linemen that you're talking about. Shy Tuttle, I think, comes in about 300. Mm-hmm. So maybe still not the greatest fit, but somebody that you could bring home. I do, uh, I do know that the Colts cornerback as well, Darius Rush, he was projected 2023 second or third round pick uh, by Dane Brugler. They cut him after having a pick six earlier this preseason with the Indianapolis Colts. So maybe that's another guy you could bring home defensive tackle if you're a little light there. Maybe Horn is someone that you could think of. And also a Darius Rush, fast guy, has good length. Had a pick six earlier this preseason. Cornerback depth is an issue. Maybe those are two names that are on the radar. Yeah, maybe so. And then you also look, too, when you look inside this same article, and an interesting name that pops up to me is Zonovan Bam Knight yep. out of NC State. And the Panthers running backs, I think they do have a good trio there, but this could be a guy that you could decide to maybe make a move on. Uh, in his first three games, he had 230 yards, five yards of carry, two touchdowns, and had 10 catches uh, as a receiver as well. Uh, the production did eventually fall off, but we know that this was a Jets backfield, or this is a Jets backfield that is very crowded 
Robin. So that's also an interesting name that pops up also with local ties. But uh, I think he's a pretty solid player. Yeah, so some local tie guys with Bam Knight. You have Timmy Horn and you have Darius Rush out of South Carolina that could come aboard and help this team. But the offensive line was the biggest problem area this year, or at least I should say this preseason, right? You had some cornerback issues for sure. It's not like the defense was great. There are more built-in excuses as to why maybe the cornerback room wasn't good because it's not like you trust C.J. Henderson, Eric Rowe, Keith Taylor, who did get cut, you didn't trust them anyway, on top of them not putting out their four best pass rushers at time. So maybe a little bit more of a built-in excuse. For the offensive line, we thought that might be a strength. Because, Wes, if you want to go with the best position groups that the Carolina Panthers have right now after they finalize this roster, I thought maybe we could be pointing to the offensive line before the preseason started. I thought we might be pointing that way. If Chandler Zavala came in, hit the ground running, even after the injury, Ikki Kwanu does the step-up thing from his rookie season, it was easy to see, very feasible. Now it's not. Now you can't point to them at all as the best position group because of the three <laughs> games that they played, especially at left tackle. In fact, it has Mina Kimes worried. She talked about it on the Mina Kimes podcast, of course, featuring Lenny. That was my bigger takeaway watching the Panthers preseason Less that I changed my opinion about Bryce Young at all. In fact, I didn't literally look the same to me that he did in college, the way he throws, the way he moves, all of it. But when he was drafted by Carolina, and I think during this sort of offseason, you know, before we saw the preseason, I was like, well, it's a good situation. That offensive line was ascendant. What a coaching, you know, whatever. I was a little worried about the skill players, but... Uh, I think that's my biggest concern coming out of the preseason, maybe more than, frankly, the other two teams even, although I do have questions about their cast as well. The, the Panthers' offensive line just looked really, really bad this preseason in a really alarming way. The other two teams she was mentioning, by the way, it was the Colts, because this was a rookie podcast, a rookie quarterback podcast. So the Colts with Anthony Richardson and the Houston Texans' offensive line. That's Which, not good company to No, keep. it's not. No, it's not. Larry Metuzzle <laughs> is a good left tackle. One of the best left tackles in the league. Okay? So that's always going to help. But we saw how they didn't perform very well in the first game that C.J. Stroud played. And we all just, uh, I know I did. I came in thinking they're going to block way better than what the Texans offensive line did for C.J. Stroud. And that wasn't the case. What do you make of Mita Kimes' comments there on her podcast? Uh, I think it's just food for thought. And I think that when you look at this division, some of the better defensive linemen that you're going to have to deal with when you talk about Cam Jordan uh, out there in New Orleans and, and some of the reinforcements that they've gotten, talking about Brian Bercy as a first-round pick. We'll see what they do. Atlanta picking up Calais Campbell and David Onyemata. And uh, Grady Jarrett, we know what he brings to the table. Bud Dupree also a part of that front seven now. And then you look at Tampa Bay, yeah, they might be young, but this is still a group that has Vita Vea and Kalaja Kansi, which I think he's going to be yeah. a phenomenal player uh, for the Buccaneers. And then uh, those linebackers that they've got, Shaq Barrett will be back healthy this year. So, yeah, I mean, it's the NFL. Every team's going to have players, but this is a unit that you did expect to ascend. Uh, you did like the way that they played down the stretch the last eight, nine games of the season. 
You thought Icky Aquino was going to come in and step up to that next level and be a dominant force where you would see him to where you could basically set it and forget it. You could just sit him over there on the left side. He blocks his guy. Okay, that's that's that. The rest of the line, you take care of your business. That hasn't been the case. And if Icky Aquino uh, takes a step back this season, that will be very detrimental uh, to the, the greater good of this offensive line. But, yeah, I mean, people can look at it all day and say this is preseason all that they want, but the signs are there, the red flags are there. People are going on the dates and seeing that the girl's still talking to the ex every day. The red flags are there, okay? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The meeting <laughs> after the first game to which James Campen had to bark on his guys. Yeah. The fact of the, uh, the post comments from Cam Irving and the way that they were filled with expletives, and those guys weren't happy about the way they played. And then they came out in the second game and didn't play any better. And so (laughs) you think, okay, they're going up against the twos of the Detroit Lions to close the preseason. You still give up a sack. You're still giving up hurries and hits. So, yeah, it's an issue. And a lot of people, they they have this – these illusions of grandeur that the offensive line just comes out and just like, oh, it's preseason, man. It doesn't matter. If I miss a block here, miss a block there, who cares? No, and no. That was my mood in the first preseason game. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't that laissez faire after they performed the way they did after three preseason games. I'm still here for it to improve massively in the first three, four, five games. It, here's what's going to help the offensive line. It's the fact that they're not going to be vanilla, French vanilla. We had some fun with desserts that the offense was this preseason, so it's not going to be like that. And I remember talking with George Shahri, who joined the show a couple weeks ago. The beauty about calling an offensive scheme is that you can scheme away from your deficiencies. And so if that's the case, then you could try to counteract what might be a weakness with the offensive line. Because here's the thing with Icky, too. A lot of people were pointing to here recently the fact that Icky got a lot of help in his rookie season on the left side of the line. But, okay, you would like for him to perform well on an island. Absolutely. Sixth overall pick, take care of yours. But the offensive line performed well last year, and it came with some help. So I hope the worst-case scenario is that they help Icky again, and the offensive line performs as well as it did last year. That would be my hope. You're right. I'm not saying it's not a problem at all if Icky takes a step back and you have to go back to helping him out quite a bit. But if they do, then is that worst case scenario of you just get a performance like you got last year? Hell, we would love it. If if I were to ask most Panther fans right now, hey, Icky doesn't improve, but you get the same exact offensive line performance that you got last year, would you take it? I think people would say, hell yeah. Yeah. Especially now that they're a little scared after what they saw this preseason. <laughs> That's the biggest issue, right? Yeah. The biggest change that you had, the biggest swing in confidence, whether it be good or bad, whatever side of the pendulum you fall on, the offensive line was it. That was the biggest swing as far as difference in confidence that you have going into the regular season, where I thought you could be talking about that as the strongest unit. There is an argument to point to them and say, no, 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 they're actually the weakest unit coming into this league based off what we saw in the preseason. Yeah, and so some of the things that you talked about, uh, the point you brought up about scheming away deficiencies, and those are, uh, that's another thing that kind of worries me a little bit. If you look on the play, and everybody's not going to look at it with the eyes that we do, but it's like the one play when Bryce shakes the guy on the rollout, he does the play action, boot to the backside, and then he has to skirt past a defender and get the first down. Yeah, the play looked great on Sports Center when he made the play, but you also didn't see the fact Icky's face got crossed. 
his guy kind of blew up the play because he hits Hayden Hurst, who's coming back the other way on an opposite action, and it throws the playoff. And that's why Bryce has to make that move to run. And so it's like, okay, yeah, even if we do try to do some things to help, our guy's going to still be playing with great technique, great urgency, great intensity to be able to make these plays work when you do want to do some specialized things to kind of take away or to kind of help you with some of your deficiencies. So this is a crew that they just really have to do some soul searching uh, during these during this last week before they really, really start to get it in because uh, if they're not on point, I mean, we know it. It's football. If this line is not on point, then – that sets back everything that you've done. I don't care who your coaches are. I don't know. I don't care who you've got on the sidelines, calling plays, what they call. They're not blocking up front, man. It's going to be an ugly year. Uh, Vladdy Daddy. He wrote in. Love the name. Vladdy Daddy. Vladdy Daddy. I like Vladdy Daddy. The Vladdy Daddy. He wrote in. Y'all got to chill on this offensive line. It'll start gelling about week three or four, and it will be good enough for the first couple weeks. Just needs consistent play and not just two series. I mean, that's fair. That's fair. I'm not as confident anymore after three bad preseason games, but that's totally fair. Maybe they do gel. Continuity breeds performance when you're talking about the offensive line, and so I think that helps. But yeah, forgive me if I'm just a tad bit worried going into the regular season. Last thing before we move on here, Wes. So here we are talking best and worst position groups. I think the best position group, that doesn't change all that much in my opinion. I felt very good about the safeties going into the preseason. I feel pretty damn good about the safeties coming out of the preseason. Mm-hmm. Von Bell, when we discussed how soft they looked in the second preseason game, Von Bell did not. He is the one that jarred an incompletion when Daniel Jones had his only incompletion on a nine-pass drive. Okay, Went eight of nine. That incompletion came when Von Bell blew up a dude coming across the middle. It might have been Darren Waller. He was thrown to him a million times. It was. Like what we saw from Von Bell. I like what we saw from Jeremy Chin, who is nickel. I get it. I know he's not safety. I know they're listing him at nickel, but we know he has that ability We want him to play closer to the line of scrimmage. I get all of it, but allow me to use him as a little bit of safety depth here, if you will. Thought he was aggressive in the run game. We'll see how well he does covering, but I didn't think he was soft in that game either. So I like what we got from Jeremy Chin wherever you're going to put him, and I expect Averro to be a little creative with him. Jamie Robinson, ups and downs, but he's not your starting safety right now. That's okay. Sam Franklin was good. Sam yeah, Franklin he made some plays. He definitely flashed. Yeah, and we we talked about it in Second Take Tuesday, sticking that foot in the ground on a fourth down conversion attempt. There was no reason he should should have caught up to that route that he did. So I like Sam Franklin, Xavier Woods. I like the safety group. Feel very comfortable with that room, and that's been a room, Wes, that I haven't typically felt great about in years past. Yeah, and I mean, this is a group that's definitely going to benefit from the arrival of Brian Burns and Justin Houston. And I think that puts all the more pressure on them because you give up a 110.6 passer rating during the preseason. And so that's not what you wanted to see. Six touchdowns to one interception. A lot of quarterbacks uh, had a good time being able to throw the football. And you know that that's more than likely going to change because Everett's going to be bringing some heat. Louvu on blitzes, Shaq on blitzes. Then you're going to have big burns out there along with Justin Houston. So, and Derek Brown as well. So a lot of that could change, but yeah, the secondary, when you look at the grades from an analytics standpoint, a lot of solid grades out there, unspectacular, but solid. Uh, but this is a unit though that looks to be uh, Dante Jackson had had a moment when he had the nice pass breakup 
We know we've talked about D'Angelo Hall and maybe the impact that he's had uh, on this crew. So uh, excited to see what they're going to be able to do once they get uh, the guys that are going to bring the rush for them. Yeah, I like Dante Jackson in his first game. I I know people are going to focus on the one breakup moment, which is great. But I think there were two other plays that you could point to there. Made a tackle, got dirty in the run game when the running back got loose and got to the second level. Dante came up and made that tackle. There was also the coverage play that he had where Zach Wilson had nowhere to go and just had to throw it to the sideline because Dante's right there after I think looking for maybe Lazard in that scenario. One game, but okay. You did everything you were asked to do and I actually think made good, not even average, but good plays in a few of those. So yeah, J.C. Horn got bodied covering Darren Waller on the outside. We got a little shove. Got Got, put on his keister. Yeah, you know. Okay, like it's a tight end out there. I'd, I'd like J.C. Horn to cover better, but it's fine, right? Like it's it's one play that you notice from Darren Waller. Put him on his keister, as you said. Yes. So there you go. I, I do think that the starting cornerbacks looked okay. Backup Q- CBs, not so much. Not so much. Yeah, man. I mean, yeah, that's normally uh, how it goes, man. In the NFL, it's hard to have a, a college-like team be like Alabama running out another five-star right future All-American behind another. So it's going to be uh, difficult. But the guys who are the starters, that's why health is so important uh, in the NFL. Um, Glenn and Matthews texted in, I feel confident that the offensive line coaching staff, I feel confident in that coaching staff for the offensive line led, of course, by James Campen. I think it's one of the best, and they will figure it out for us. So hopefully that's true. You mentioned okay. coaching with D'Angelo Hall. I do like James Campen. There's a reason you brought him back, and I think it was deserved. So I'll shut up if it works out in the first month. I I want it. <laughs> I want to be shut up by this offensive line. Just a little worried right now. All right, let's go to the first Fitty Flash of the day. What you got, Fitty? It's all right to be a little Fitty. A little hometown or a big old city. Might as well share. Might as well smile. The Minnesota Vikings are signing Miles Gaskin, who was released Wednesday by the Miami Dolphins. Over his four years uh, with the Fins, he appeared in 38 games, ran it 361 times for 1,355 yards and seven touchdowns. So Minnesota has found their replacement for Dalvin Cook to back up Alexander Madison and Ty Chandler, former Tar Heel, also expected to have somewhat of a role up there for the Vikings. You know, there's been some talk about Carolina maybe shuffling the deck a little bit with their running back room. I actually don't think it happens. Even with Bam Knight, who I think was a good mention to possibly go out and get after he gets cut from the Jets, I think they're going to roll with every everybody they have. I think they're going to try to bring back Spencer Brown to the practice squad. I don't think that's official yet, but I think that's going to happen. And they're going to roll with Miles Sanders as the starter, Chuba as between the tackles backup, and Blackshear as the receiving threat. I don't think they're going to make any moves there. Wes, what do you think the likelihood is that they actually do have a different running back in that room? Yeah, I don't think they're going to touch running back too much. I think they're pretty content where they are. I think they've got a good trio of uh, backs that are in their rotation currently. All right, there you go with some Carolina Panthers discussion after they finalize their roster. Going into next week, let's go to the collegiate ranks. It's time for the Campus Corner. Wait until you hear what Jim Harbaugh had to say. You have to find out coming up next on Wes and Walker. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNC. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Cry Wednesday. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Keep it coming on the text line. 704-570-9610. A 704 number asked me, how do you prepare an offensive lineman and what is the thinking behind their performance is a question he wanted to ask. I guess when we were saying that the Panthers will get it together and they'll get right. But I just told him you have to hammer home the technique for sure, which is mostly footwork and hand placement, stuff like keeping your head out of the block. Uh, But footwork is huge. And then I said after that, it's just aggression. And that's the thing that they're going to have to hammer home until they play Atlanta. It's just really focusing on the technique because it's easy, whether it's fatigue or just tussling with the guy that you're blocking, man. It's easy to forget technique and get into bad habits. Well, and we oftentimes focus so much on pass protection because of especially the number one overall pick that is behind this offensive line. But with Icky especially, because that's the guy that we've been focusing on so much. We have such high hopes for him. Finally, they invest in the left tackle position and you want him to be a franchise guy. And it didn't go well for him this preseason. I believe wholeheartedly in him when it comes to the run game. Talk about aggression. Talk about putting guys on their keister. I don't really mind Dickie in that. The pass protection, the footwork, and he told us at training camp he needs to be a lot more consistent with his footwork and his technique. And so he understands it. Everybody that evaluates him on that coaching staff knows that Icky is as hard a worker in that organization as possible. So that's the case for Icky to figure it all out. Yeah, and also, too, like I said, on the run game, you get those guys that quick targets, man. And so you have to really focus on your technique and, and the right steps and stuff in, in the run game. But anyway, it's time for the campus. Count. All right. Jim Harbaugh, controversial He may be at times he's going to be missing the first three games of the season with those self-imposed sanctions from the University of Michigan. But he has come out and made a big statement. He opened his Monday news conference with a nearly six-minute statement advocating for revenue sharing with student-athletes. They said this isn't the first time that he shared the thought that student-athletes should benefit from the TV deals, but it was his most direct message. Told reporters it's time for a change and the athletes themselves should benefit from the billions of dollars generated by the sport. Quote, he said, we all should be about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I'm calling for a system that is fair, equitable, and benefits all involved. Don't exclude the student-athletes from the profits. My opinion, you can't say you're about diversity, equity, and inclusion if you aren't willing to include the student-athletes in revenue sharing. He's brought up the new idea of revenue sharing in 2020 and again in 2022 at Big Ten Media Days said he wants to be a voice for the student athletes and speaking up about what he believes is a big change necessary for the NCAA to move forward and continue to evolve. Do you feel like this is a genuine message from Harbaugh or do you feel like that he is doing this to further himself in the eyes of recruits and make Michigan 
that much more attractive. There might be more of an emphasis from Harbaugh on making sure Michigan has a chance at the top talent out there, and maybe that's the reason why he's doing this. I don't know if it's disingenuine, though. Like, I I do think that Jim Harbaugh, I I think for the most part, that he believes what he's saying here, but yeah, there's going to be the benefit of getting as much talent as possible in the Michigan football program, and so that is going to be something good for him. At the same time, here we have Biff Pogey, doing the same thing in Charlotte. And let's remember, Biff Pogey, Jim Harbaugh are very good friends. Maybe you could take the cynical approach in that both of them are only caring about themselves. That's fine. I don't necessarily believe that. You and I talked about how we believe Biff Pogey is very genuine in wanting to get as much money as possible, yes, to help them win games, but also to give the money to the kids that help them win those football games. So if Biff Pogey and Jim Harbaugh are both saying this, they come from the same cloth because they just were together in Michigan for a while, I do think that this is genuine from Jim Harbaugh, even with the added benefit of, yeah, it's going to help you get more talent. Yeah, I think it's interesting uh, that he says that, but I'm also with him 100%. I think we are seeing a little bit of it with the way uh, NIL is distributed at some schools. When you talk about places like Oklahoma and Texas, where all the players uh, get a piece of the pie, I believe in Miami, I think a good bit, if not all of their players, get a piece of the pie. So at different schools, you do see some of that revenue sharing where everyone is benefiting. Uh, but I'm for 100%, like I said, with all the money that is going around, we know that it comes off the backs of these athletes, and I think that they should be able to do that. So kudos to Jim Harbaugh for coming out and, and standing strong there because that's definitely going to bode well for him uh, with recruits knowing that he's a guy that has their back. And I think if he feels like that, then he's going to definitely make sure if you come to the University of Michigan that your pockets are going to be lined appropriately with Skrilla if you are a big-time baller for the Wolverines. So moving into the ACC, excuse me, Dabo Sweeney, Duke, they will face off on Labor Day. Yours truly, I will be there covering for the ACC Digital Network. Are, do you have enough room in your suitcase for your Duke pom-poms this year? I do. Okay. I, do. I, I have a whole different suitcase just for those. <laughs> okay. okay. I can't wait to see that dark shade of blue on the camera. Some When we're watching the game and we yeah. see you on the sidelines, yeah. that's what I'll be I'll just be for. covered in pom-poms. Okay. That will be my attire for the game. You would wear that outfit. Right. I would. I'd come right out there with it. But uh, Dabo came out and he had a gripe with Duke in that stadium. So I'm sure that if they don't win or don't play well, this will not bode well, but he said, quote, the unique thing about the stadium that I do not like and nobody likes that plays at Duke is you have to, I mean, it's like a two or three minute walk, he said. He said, it's a long way to get to the locker room, a long way. And in college football, you barely have enough time to go to the bathroom and talk for 30 seconds in there, and it's time to go again. So, I can speak from experience here playing at Duke twice. And, uh, yeah, it is quite a long walk from the visitor's locker room to the field. Now, I personally, I enjoy it pregame because you get a chance to get in your head, pump yourself up, like the long walk. Like, it's pretty cool. But I do see what he's saying about halftime. You get 15 minutes. I do think it is a little bit of gamesmanship for Duke uh, to, to have that because, like he said, you do only get in the locker room for 15 minutes. Everybody either have to use the bathroom and uh, and talk and go over strategy and adjustments. So it can take away when you have to have a two- to three-minute walk to the locker room, two- to three minutes back to the field. Did Jim Grove have a problem with this? 
Did I don't he think seen he cared. No. Did, when you faced Duke, <laughs> did you ever hear him say, hey, we got to make sure that we're getting to the locker room real quickly so you can get this message? Uh, I never heard the coaches really complain about it, but I do know it's, it's got to be something coaches don't like at halftime because they have so much that they want to say. Now, a lot of times when we went to Duke, we would blow them out. So uh, it wasn't much to discuss at halftime for <laughs> in yeah. order to gripe about how long we had, but it is a long walk. That and Nebraska are the two longest walks I've ever had to the field from a locker room. I guess it hits a little different if you're Nebraska, which does have a football tradition, and Duke does not. Maybe Nebraska, you relish the moment a little bit more so, yeah. and Duke, it's just kind of a nuisance because, well, Duke might just be getting beat anyway. Yeah. At least in, in historic sense. In historic sure times, like him, yes. But we know what it is historically. Yeah, man. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting that Dabo said that, and I know that they're going to uh, have some words for him if things don't go their way, if they are not able to win this game. They're going to ask him, was the walk too long? Maybe. Somebody will. Who knows? But when we, me crying. But when we come back, Mike Golick Jr. joins us to talk about a plethora of topics on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.